Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, Decatur City Church. How y'all doing this morning? It is so good to see you all. Give yourselves a hand clap just for being here. Super Bowl Sunday. Would also love to just shout out all the folks who are watching online. We love you. We're so glad you're here. Let's just let them know our appreciation for them joining us online. I don't know if you know if y'all know it, but uh, really every week we have uh, you know three or four hundred folks that really tune in from all throughout the Atlanta area and uh, even really throughout the United States. And so we're so thankful to have you all here. I love that this is Super Bowl Sunday. I see some of you all kind of in your jerseys. You got Florida there. You got the Atlanta Falcons. I'm praying for you. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I, I talked to a Atlanta Falcons fan after the first service, and they said, well, Pastor Steve, why do you keep messing with the Falcons? And I said, I'm not. It's just, and now you're here. <laughs> so we're praying for the Falcons. Uh, I know 28 to 3 still stings a little bit, but uh, it's okay. Look, I, I'm from D.C., so I was a Redskins and Commanders fan, so I've been with you the last 20 years of, of just suffering. So uh, it is so good to see all of you all here this morning. Uh, this is our first time meeting. My name is Stephen Lee, and I have the pleasure to serve uh, here as the lead pastor. I want to give a very special shout out to Chuck. Man, you did such a fantastic job. Man, love your leadership. Uh, you all might have uh, perhaps missed a little bit of, of perhaps what he said, but I felt like he was clear is, man, we are really at capacity in terms of our middle school experience at 1115. And so we're going to be doing all that we can over the next couple of months to kind of get ready in August to be able to offer two environments, both at 915 and 1115. And uh, what we've been able to do is really because of you guys and your generosity. Thank you for your prayers and you know, certainly as a young leader, uh, Chuck, do such a fantastic job. We could have really just gone home after you did your vision moment. So I'm going to try to keep it short uh, today. But we are in uh, actually round, you know, actually, we're, I'm, I'm landing my plane this week, y'all. We've been in a series for the last, uh, last couple of weeks. This is the third week of a series that we've entitled Wait for It. And the, really the, the question that we've been seeking to answer in this particular series is what do you and I do when we have to wait uh, that is something that regardless of your religious experience, regardless of kind of your stage or age, age or stage in life, waiting is something that we all have to deal with. Uh, so much so I was thinking a little bit about uh, my son this week. So one of the things that often happens when I'm preparing a, a message series is, you know, I begin kind of thinking about it even months earlier. But all throughout the week leading up to the series, I'm often, you can kind of see me walking throughout my house preparing to share what I believe God's put in my heart to share with you all. And so sometimes my kids and my family, they just kind of get used to seeing me walking throughout the house, moving my hands. And my kids, I've got six of them, 13 to three, they're always, they will often say, oh, daddy's just preaching again. They'll kind of see me moving my hands and, and just reminding myself of, hey, here's, a, here's something that I want to make sure to communicate. And when you've been in a series for, you know, for three weeks, uh, even my youngest kids kind of get a sense of, hey, daddy's preaching about what do you need to do when you find yourself in a season of waiting? Because for all of us, that's just something we experience. And so this week, I was laying my son Stefan down. He's seven years old, going on 15. 
And, uh, and you know, as I was kind of kneeling by his bed, he said to me, he said, hey, Dad, I can't wait to go to sleep. And so here was his request when he said he couldn't wait to go to sleep. He said, would you mind not praying for a really, really long time? Uh, and he just said, look, I, I think that you can accomplish all the things that you really desire to accomplish. But, but just look, like if you could just kind of keep it short and sweet and to the point, I think I know that God will hear you. And as, as a result of that, I prayed for seven minutes until he went to sleep. I just, I just wanted him to know that daddy was, was still in charge. But, but even, yeah, I'm just being honest. Like, but, but even at his age, again, he's a first grader. Like he, he has even kind of felt the tension of what it sometimes looks like to be in a season of waiting. So one of the things that we've tried to talk about these, uh, over these last three weeks is to really give you all, to equip you all with three things that you and I can do when we find ourselves in a season of waiting. So I'm going to do a little bit of a uh, kind of a rehash uh, for you all before we jump in today. So here's the first thing that we said that you need to do uh, when you wait or when you have to wait is that while you wait, we talked about the first week of the importance of not waiting alone. Uh, so often in our life, what waiting can do, if you're waiting for a house, waiting for the right relationship, waiting to move forward professionally, here's what waiting often does. Waiting kind of zaps us of our energy and our strength, and it often in our lives kind of puts us in a situation where we feel alone and isolated. And one of the things that we talked about the first week is that we need to have relationships in our life with people that can encourage us in our waiting season, whatever you're waiting on God for. Perhaps some of you are waiting uh, for a prayer that God's been answered. Some, perhaps some of you are waiting to start the family or the new business. Whatever you're waiting on, the encouragement in week one was that do not wait alone. Uh, that we need some strategic people in our life that we can kind of link arms with, that see us in our weakness, and that can encourage us to faithfully follow Jesus as best as we can. Here's what we talked about on week two. We said that while you wait, don't lose focus on what is most important. Uh, We said don't lose focus on what's most important. And we talked a little bit about last week that often in our seasons of waiting, it's, it's rarely punishment for something that we've done, but that God often allows us to be in a season of waiting because he's choosing to use whatever we have to wait in to develop us for who he is calling for us to be. Though it's difficult, though it's challenging, though it's exhausting, uh, though it can be frustrating, what we often find when we get out of our season of waiting, like we're able to kind of look back and to say, oh, you know what? I realize that 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 six years or that six months or that six weeks, like whatever I had to wait in, the Lord actually, in his providence, which just means his direction in my life, he was able to use that to prepare me for where I am today. And so we talked a little about uh, last week of just that, that sometimes the challenge is, yes, we have to wait for it, but uh, you know, it's often challenging to wait in it. And so you know, we talked a little bit about last week, just our applications were uh, that when we're waiting in it, we need to have rhythms in our life where we're looking back to remember what God has done, where we're looking up to be reminded that, that, uh, that God is, is there to help us and to assist us, and that we also can look forward. And what allows us to look forward is our present and our past experiences where God has shown himself faithful. And so if y'all are kind of cliff notes, perhaps you missed the first couple of weeks, I mean, you just got, uh, man, that's less, less, like an hour plus condensed in five minutes. Congratulations, you used your time wisely, right? <laughs> And so for this week, uh, as again, we kind of as we conclude this series, 
We're going to look at the third thing that we need to do when we find ourselves in a season of waiting. And I'm going to take some time. We're going to be in the book of Mark. Uh, what I love about the book of Mark, if you're new to church, new to Christianity, the book of Mark is one of the four Gospels uh, that really kind of details uh, in really descriptive language uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus, like what Jesus actually did when he walked the earth. And uh, it's what I love about it is that Mark is, is kind of short, sweet to the point. There's not a lot of theological language. Mark's entire goal in this particular book is to kind of make a claim very early that Jesus is the son of God. And then over the next 16 chapters to really kind of give the reader, to invite the reader to, to look at Jesus' life, to look at what he's done and what he said. And at the end of the book, uh, when we see Jesus is resurrected, is, is to really say to the reader, to the person who's, tra- who's been kind of traveling along, like, like is, is he the son of God? If he's the son of God, then we should trust him and we should submit to him. Uh, but if he's not, then he's just like any other religious leader. So that, that's kind of the theme. And so what we've been kind of tracking through the book of Mark is these experiences where Jesus kind of calls his disciples away from the crowd. Disciples are just people that have committed to follow Jesus. And, and he's teaching them these lessons what I love about disciples and why we should all be encouraged here this morning is that the disciples never get it right. Very rarely. Like they got it right after Jesus was resurrected. But here's why you can be encouraged. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you're considering Christianity, here's where you can be encouraged is the disciples, like they, they very rarely say the right thing. They often kind of get ahead of Jesus. And, and, but Jesus and just his compassion and his kindness will often use the times in which they've not said the right thing or do the right thing to teach them something about themselves. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today, and Jesus is going to teach his disciples a really kind of fascinating lesson uh, in an unlikely place about waiting. And so we're going to start in verse 1 on today. It says, during those days, another large crowd. So again, we, again, very early in Jesus' ministry, this is before Twitter, before Snapchat, MySpace, Facebook, before, you know, before any of these things, uh, word of who Jesus is and what he's desiring to do, like it's beginning to spread all throughout the region. It says that crowds begin to gather. It says, since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said. So here's a thing. Before we go into the next verse, let's just give some context. There's a large crowd, which is probably, I mean, maybe three times larger than in this room and watching online. And as a result of Jesus' ministry, like people are coming to him to hear what he has to say, to see the miracles that he performs. And this large crowd begins to gather and I love here that just the Bible is just really plain, like not much has changed in 2,000 years that when a large crowd begins to gather, people's stomachs start to grumble. Now, I love you all have been so kind and so gracious during this local series, and I appreciate the encouragement that you all have given and said, man, this, this series has been practical. This series has helped you know, me out in a particular area of life. But here's what I also know. Though you all love me and love God, I know I've got about 35 minutes. <laughs> I know. That if I just kept preaching and kept preaching and kept preaching and kept teaching, at a certain point, you all would get up and you would excuse yourself because you would say, Steve, it's time to go eat. And we certainly understand that in the South because we eat 19 times a day. (laughs) But what Jesus does, he he, in light of the crowd that's gathering, uh, he 
just in his godness, like understands the particular needs of people. And he begins to kind of call his disciples forward. And he says, hey, look, this is kind of Super Bowl Sunday. So I thought this was kind of a, a good key in. He calls his disciples forward and he says, hey, let's huddle up. All right, here's the challenge that we're experiencing. We've got about 4,000 people, not including women and children, and, and they're, they're hungry. And so let's, uh, let's look at what verse, verse 2 says to us. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat. Now, here, here's to me one of the kind of crystal clear evidences that Jesus is the master teacher, master communicator, that folks hung with him for three days and hadn't eaten any food and hadn't eaten any food for three days. I'm not talking about had snacks. They had not eaten any food. And But what I love what Jesus does is Jesus kind of calls his disciples close. And, and I believe, you know, obviously when you think about Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, I think in his godness, he just understands the needs of people. And he says in this particular text that he has compassion. I love this word compassion because compassion is different than empathy. Empathy is often kind of seeing what people are experiencing and just saying, hey, I kind of understand. I know where you are. Here's what compassion is. Compassion is when you see how a person's suffering and you don't just see and identify what they're experiencing. You actually in your kind of life, in your being, say, you know, I want to do something about it. And and if you're new to church today, I I know there are often kind of people communicate like what is Christianity at its core about? I believe that Christianity at its core is about compassion. It is about this amazing story that started in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation of where God sees how Adam and Eve messed up in the book of Genesis and that this story that will unfold over thousands of years is how will God rescue those of us who need to experience relief from our suffering, from the mistakes that we've made, from the bad choices that we perhaps have committed it's this story of compassion. That, that's the heart of the gospel. And we see it here also reflected in Jesus and his ministry. So, so he says, man, listen, th- there's a lot going on in this huddle and, and they're about to you know, kind of break and we'll see how the disciples uh, react to that. So they've been with him for three days. Let's get verse uh, three. Uh, and here's Jesus. He says, he says if, I, if I send them home hungry, uh, this feels a lot like how my kids often react uh, when we close, close the kitchen at 8 o'clock, and we've said the kitchen's closed, it will open up tomorrow. This is, this is often what I feel like I get from my kids. It says they will collapse. <laughs> my, my kids just act, you know, I don't know if you all have kids or nieces or nephews. I mean, they just, they just act uh, like, you know, they've never eaten before. Uh, and he says that I will collapse on the way because some of them have ca- come a long distance. Some of them drove from coming, all right? Amen. All right, coming. There we go. We got some coming folks. Like some of them drove from Dahlonega. Maybe is that even further out? Okay, a little bit further out. Y'all just like, I don't, yeah, that's Decatur. Yeah, Decatur folks, like that's uh, in town. Yeah. But he says like, they've, they've, they've driven from such a long way. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus is desiring to show compassion towards them. 
And, and the disciples, I can imagine just disciples, you know, they've been with Jesus for, you know, perhaps uh, a year or so. They're still trying to get an understanding of who he is. And man, we like this guy, but, but he's often, we, we often kind of find ourselves kind of following him into situations that are above our pay grade. And, and, and we're still trying to kind of understand about who he is and, 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 and if, he, if he is who he claims to be, like what are the implications on our life? And so we're going to see in verse four uh, how the disciples begin to interact with this request. So I often love to put myself in the place of disciples. At this point, I've not graduated to thinking in any story that we've read that I am Jesus. I just want y'all to know that. So So here's what his disciples say. His disciples answer, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? That would have been my reaction. I mean, y'all think about remote. If there are folks in here that, man, you love uh, road trips. We've done a lot of our road trips because I'm from D.C. and we've lived in Florida. So like 95 is kind of, it's just, it's, it's kind of the place that we're used to. And for some of y'all, it might be 75. But when you think about road trips, when I think about remote, remote means no cell service. Remote kind of feels a little bit shady. Like, hey, if, if we stop here, we don't know if we'll make it like to the next, the next location. And so I have to imagine the disciples, like they're in this particular situation, there's a crowd of 4,000 people, and what they begin to do is to kind of ask themselves the question, like, man, listen, we, we, we like Jesus, but man, he's always kind of doing things that kind of expose uh, the things that we don't have. And so they say, like, we're in this remote place. They look around, and they don't see any convenience stores. <laughs> I mean, they, they, don't, they don't see any cities. They don't see any villages and, and they begin to kind of ask themselves the question, I know in this situation, we're, gen- we're, we're usually in a situation where we're waiting on Jesus to do something miraculous. But in this situation, it seems like he's waiting on us. Here's one of the things that I want us to consider is that often in your season of waiting, uh, like where you are, it just feels desolate. Like when you've been waiting on a job for a year and you've, you've networked and you've and you've researched, and you've gone on all the interviews, like you kind of look around, and, and you feel like perhaps your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Like, like when you've been waiting or desiring to start a family, and that adoption process just keeps going on and on and on, you begin to kind of look around and say, like, I'm, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm, 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 I'm serving. I'm uh, like I'm praying about it, but, but it feels like often when we're waiting that we're waiting in a desolate place. Here's what I want to perhaps suggest to you is that Jesus does his best work in desolate places. He does his best work when, when like all of the situation and the circumstance that we find ourselves in, like we've reached the end of our capacity because ultimately <laughs> When he does what he always does, then we can't, in that desolate place, take the credit for it. So he says, he says, where can anyone in this remote place uh, get enough bread to, to feed? And, and I love just the interaction. Uh, and, and so Jesus, uh, the disciples, again, kind of give their insights. And let's look at what verse 5 says. Here's Jesus in his godness. He says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. And the disciples said seven. uh, And it says that they replied. So how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they answered. So the disciples, again, they kind of find themselves 
in this interaction with Jesus. They're in a desolate place. Uh, for the first two stories that we've kind of looked like, the disciples have, in both of the stories that we looked at, they've been waiting for Jesus to do something spectacular. But in this particular talk, we see that, that Jesus is actually waiting for them. And I began to think a little bit about perhaps what the disciples are experiencing. Let's look at verse number six. <laughs> so here's what Jesus does. He tells the crowds to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, it says he broke them. That means he multiplied them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did also. I mean, y'all, this is a miraculous, kind of a miraculous way in which often, I believe in seasons of waiting especially, uh, God desires to kind of teach us and develop us. Uh, so one of the things that I thought a little bit about today was, uh, was illustrating this for us. So what I've got in this box here, I'll show you all, it's, it's, just, it's just some bread. Now I'm going to get in trouble uh, for having this bread because we won't be able to use it later. So Tiffany, I apologize. Uh, but here's, but here's, here's some bread. And if you keep reading this story, it also says that there were two little pieces of fish. And I couldn't find any goldfish, so I think these are something else. But, but, but we have to imagine, like in this situation, I would have to imagine in this situation, when, when the disciples kind of find themselves in the situation they find themselves, they say, hey, look, Jesus, we've got, we've got seven loaves. That's what we got. But often when you, you and I kind of find ourselves in situations uh, that are remote, when we feel like we've exhausted all of our resources, got to pick my crumbs up. So we got seven there. Is we, and, and I'm just going to be honest, uh, when you've done all that you can and you find yourself in a situation that feels like you've exhausted all of your resources, the first thing that comes to my mind when I have what's in my possession is not to take what's in my possession and to give it away. Like, that, I gotta be honest, like, that's never, that's never my thing. Like, if I'm struggling, like, in, in my marriage, or if I'm struggling in my finances, or if I'm struggling to manage my time well, like, I, I'm never thinking, how can I give my time away? What I often do, especially when I find myself in a remote situation, like, I, I, here's what I often think is, like, I gotta keep my, I gotta protect my stuff. I gotta protect my time. I gotta protect my mental energy. I, I, I've, I've got to protect all of my resources. But, but here's, here's what Jesus does, and it's so remarkable because here's what we see in this particular text. It says at a certain point, here's what the disciples decide to do. The disciples decide to obey. And here's this crazy thing that happens, y'all. Now listen, I know we got our stuff. We got our time, our resources, our networking. I got my Facebook page. I got my social media. And I know things feel tight in a waiting situation. And I know you feel that the best thing to do when you're waiting on God to show up is to hold on to your stuff. But here's what the disciples do. The disciples decide to obey. And here's what they do. They decide to take their stuff and to give it to Jesus and here's what Jesus does. He takes their stuff. First of all, he thanks God. He models for us just the spirit of thanksgiving. But here's what he does, y'all. He starts to break it and multiply. Like he takes your time and your talent and your resources, and he's just in the back in the kitchen just kind of cooking stuff up. And here's, what, and here's what we see throughout this particular story is that the disciples just keep coming back to Jesus, getting exactly what they need so that they're able to partner with Jesus to make sure the crowd gets what they need. Don't miss this. It's so often we find ourselves in situations where we feel pressed, where we feel tired, where we feel exhausted. Here's what you got to keep doing. 
You've got to not concentrate on how I can keep all of my stuff together. You've got to decide that I'm going to take whatever I have, whatever time I have, whatever talent I have, whatever resource that I have, and I'm going to commit that to Jesus. Because here's what Jesus does, y'all, and this, this will blow your mind. All Jesus does is he takes what you give him, he multiplies it, but what does he do in the life of the disciples? He gives it back to them. He gives it back. So when you think about your time, your treasure, and your talents, the worst thing to do when you're waiting is to try to hold on to your stuff. It's the worst thing. So the, the worst thing you can do when you're waiting is to stop serving. The worst thing you do when you're waiting is to stop giving. The worst thing that you can do like when you're waiting is to stop praying. The worst thing that you can do when you're waiting is to drop out of church. Because here's what God has promised to do is he's promised that whatever we give him, he'll multiply. Here to me is the miracle of this particular story. So we have to imagine that Jesus is in the back. We've got, we got 4,000 people. So y'all just imagine we're all Southerners here, even if we weren't born here, that Jesus is just, he's in the back just cooking. He's just doing his thing. Jesus has an apron on, and he's just kind of making sure, and there are crowds of people. Because Jesus, here's what's so amazing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't even want the limelight. So he takes what the disciples give him, he blesses it, then he gives it back to them. But here's what I have to imagine is happening. The disciples just keep coming back. He, he, Jesus keeps providing for them what they need in the circumstance. And here's what I have to imagine, is that the 4,000 people, they eat and they are satisfied. But the 4,000 people don't see what Jesus is doing in the kitchen. The people that see what Jesus is doing in the kitchen is the disciples who have chosen to give what they have to him. The miracle in the story is not that Jesus feeds the 4,000. It's that the disciples are able to see what Jesus does when we give him our little. When we give him what's most important to us, we experience the miracle. So Chuck just talked a little about the 3,000 students that we had this particular summer, I mean, this particular uh, transit weekend. And I'm sure the 3,000 students, they had a lot of sugar, a lot of candy, a lot of games. Uh, they had a great time. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to be very honest. I, I guarantee if y'all talk, talk to Chuck after service, that the folks that were most impacted by that weekend were the people that gave their time up. I guarantee if you talk to them and people that were driving like people that were driving vans from homes to Alpharetta or people that had kids staying in their homes, like I guarantee you if we polled the stories, yes, there was impact of 3,000, but the people that kept giving what was most important to them to Jesus, y'all, that's where the, they experienced the miracle of seeing what Jesus can do when they just invested a little bit of time to help people move further in their relationship with Jesus. So here's just this summary. What is the third thing that we do when we find ourselves in a season of waiting? Is that while you wait, don't stop using what you have to serve the needs of others. While you wait, for whatever you're waiting on, for whatever door you're desiring that God would, would open, is don't stop using what he's given you to be a blessing to other people. And just very simply, here's what I want every person to know in this particular room is that God has created you to make a difference in the lives of people. That's why he's created you. 
He's created you to impact your neighborhood, your apartment complex, your job, your church, uh, your, your family. And, 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 the best in you, and the best investment of our time is to take what's most valuable to, to us, to give it to him, allow him to multiply. Because here's, I think, the key of this particular story. The key of this story is that the folks who are experiencing the want in the desolate place, when you serve and when you give freely, here, here's, here, here's the, one of the biggest miracles, is that you position yourself to receive his strength. When you don't have the ability to keep going on, and when you don't have the ability to do it on your own, like that, that's, that's where God likes to show up. He likes to show himself strong when our resources have been exhausted. So the only reason, the only thing that explains what happened was that he showed up on our behalf. So here's just a question I want us perhaps this week, get some time to yourself, would love for you to perhaps consider uh, this week is... And when you think about your life, here's a question that you can jot down, you can journal this week, is what are you giving your time, your treasure, and your talent to? So you think this week, like, what am I giving my time, my treasure, and my talent to? And I think here's just the, the kind of the, the audit that we can do is as we look at those three areas of our life, do those three areas of our life, like, does it tell the story that I wanted to tell? And, and I think here's the application. If, if it doesn't tell the story that I wanted to tell, then I'll make some changes. You know, if my, my time, we all have 24 hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My, my talent, the gifts that God's given you. I mean, you guys have amazing gifts. Uh, the treasure, the resources that God has blessed us with. If you're a college student, don't worry. You don't have any, but maybe in the future. But, but like, are those three areas, are they telling the story that I wanted to tell? So I was thinking a little bit about this message uh, today. I think one of the, the things that I'd be risk, remiss to do, and I, I've, hopefully I've done that really throughout this particular talk, man, is just to celebrate like the miracle in the story of Decatur City Church. I mean, this church was planted over 12 years ago. I think eight years ago, we became a North Point partner. Uh, we, we launched in this building on January 27, 2019. Less than two years later, I mean, y'all remember, like, less than two years later, uh, it wasn't a big deal in Florida, uh, but it was a big deal, you know, here, COVID happened, all right? Y'all missed that. That was a little Florida joke. <laughs> yeah. And, and y'all have to miss, like, like, after being in this space for about 12, you know, 12 to 15 months, like, we were completely shut down. And, you know, because of the CDC and, and just, I think, the sensitivity to COVID in this particular community, I mean, it, it was really, really challenging. And, and one of the things that I just want to celebrate, like, like Decatur City Church, you guys have just done such an amazing job in your giving and your serving uh, and your investing so that like when you look around in this room uh, and we're standing on the backs of, you know, Tinsley and Lori and just folks that have gone before us and the amazing leadership here, like, like what God has done here is a miracle. But what has made, I believe that really the key to this church is that I just feel like, man, there are folks here. You all have made the decision to take what's most invaluable to you, your time, your treasure, your talents, and you guys have just invested that in our church. Like, you've done it, man, from the parking lot. You've done it as small group leaders. You've done it in guest services. Uh, you all have, uh, I mean, you've done it through Wamba Land and Transit. Uh, you, I mean, you all have done that, and I'm just believing that our best days are ahead. Uh, what other areas are y'all serving in? Throw out some other ones. Up street, what else? What else? What are some other areas? 
inside out, like, like you guys, have, you all have done that. And here's what I want you to know. Like as you give what's most important to Jesus, here's the benefit when you kind of look at the, towards the end of this story is at the end of this story, you see that after the crowd is dispersed, there's seven baskets full of, of the little investment that the disciples, that they gave Jesus. And so I just also believe that what we're given in investing, and I just believe this, that our best days are ahead, is that God's going to also use what you invest to bless you with. Like that, That's just what he does, it is, is that as we choose in every season of life to trust him with most, what's most important to us, then, then he always goes over and beyond when we choose to make the appropriate uh, decision for him. And so I just want to thank you guys. I just want to bless y'all. Just give yourselves a hand clap. Y'all clap it up for yourselves. Clap it up for yourselves. Thank y'all. Thank you all for serving. Uh, here, here's a just a prayer that I thought a little bit about this weekend. And this could really just be part two. If you want to take a picture or jot it down, this is just some thoughts that I put together. Perhaps this could be something that you start your week with or you start your day with. Uh, because we're understanding like when we serve, we position ourselves to receive God's strength. And this is a, here's just, again, a prayer that I, that I wrote that I wanted to even pray over you right now. It says, Heavenly Father, make me aware of others' needs and guide me to be compassionate and generous as you direct. Help me to trust you to meet all our needs through what you have given me. In Jesus' capable name, amen. Uh, while you're waiting, uh, don't stop using what you have uh, to serve the needs of others. It puts you smack dab in the bullseye of receiving God's strength. I'd love to pray with you all as we close today. Our God and our Father, we worship you today for who you are. And I'm so thankful for every person of the sound of my voice and those that are watching online. Lord, in our presence this morning, we want to acknowledge just very openly and honestly that we... <laughs> We cannot do it alone. The things that we're waiting on often cause exhaustion and frustration. We can often feel like we're in a desolate place. But God, here's what you love to do. You love to show up in desolate places. And you love to show yourself strong on behalf of those who trust you. So perhaps for somebody today, that's an invitation to trust you, Jesus, for the very first time. To acknowledge your divinity, and your lordship, and to move from a place of trusting in themselves to trusting in you. And I pray that you would meet those persons under the sound of my voice with that particular encounter. But for all of us today, Lord, as we wait, help us to wait on you. And Lord, would you strengthen us as we wait? Would you show yourself strong on our behalf? We love you. We thank you. God, our Father, for your son Jesus, who lived the life that we could not live, who died the death that we deserve. You raised him from the dead, acknowledging that his sacrifice for sins have been accepted. And to all of us who have trusted in Jesus, you placed this Holy Spirit inside of us, which is a reminder uh, that you're going to come back for us. You'll dry every tear. But Lord, while we wait, help us to wait well and to honor you. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done. We commit this series to you, commit our lives to you. Be glorified and honored in all that is said and done for the remainder of this service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.